I, I want to jump into the Word. I, I really believe this. I believe um, that when the people of God come together, we said this, is that anything is possible. But I also believe this. I believe that you can participate in what God is doing. And uh, I feel like at times we've done you a disservice by letting you think possibly in church culture that you can come and attend and be a spectator and not participate in what God is doing. I want you to know you're a participator in what God is doing. You participate with your faith. You participate with your voice. You participate. You know, you, if you're in our church very long, you hear people talk back in church. They'll say something, say amen. I'm going to tell you this. First Corinthians chapter 14, it says this. It's talking about orderly, orderly conduct in church. And it says this. It's better for someone to prophesy or speak in English or in a language that people can understand so that people can say amen to what is being said. So that people can say amen. So I got to help you. You can't think amen. I know you can think it really hard, but you got to say it. You got you to say it. This is say amen, church. Not because we just like talking, but because we agree with the word of God. When, when something resonates with your heart and with your spirit by saying amen, you're saying, I agree, so be it, let it happen. And the church said, there you go. That's good. You're on it. You're on it. All right. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 is where we've been for this series it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or what we know as wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And this is really key. It says, where is the one that has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Their, mo their, their motive in finding Jesus was not to receive. Their motive in finding Jesus was to give, to worship. Verse 3 says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod was disturbed. You ever think about that? Why, why was Herod disturbed that they were trying to find Jesus, the king? They were trying to worship him. Why was he disturbed? I'm going to tell you this, every, every counterfeit king is always disturbed when there's a threat of displacement. King Herod recognized that these men, these wise men, were searching for a king that was real. The king that was authentic, the king that would be the Messiah, that would be the savior of the world. And he was disrupted, he was disturbed by recognizing that he could be displaced. My, my boys and I and Jamie, we were watching, uh, we were watching cri a Christmas movie yesterday. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called like Elf or something like that. I know many of you haven't memorized. And uh, so we were showing the boys for the first time and we were watching it, and, and I was thinking about my message today, and we're watching, watching the movie, and, and um, you know, the elf is in the, whatever the store is, the, the market or whatever, the toy store, I think it was, the market, uh, the toy store, and, and, and they, he recognizes Santa is an imposter, right? He's, the, he's not the right Santa, and, uh, and, and I, I, was, I was just thinking about our even approach to Christmas, our approach our approach to this season and all these kids lining up right for Santa so they can tell him what they want. And I was thinking the same way that many of us approach or our kids approach Santa is the same way that we approach God. Is that we approach him in the same way with the same perspective. What can we, what can we give from him? 
We come with our list of things that we want. And, and, and I've noticed this is that, that some people that really love Jesus, it seems like they've got what they wanted. And some people who are angry at God seems like they didn't get what they wanted. The people that are blessed seems like God answered their prayers. The people that are walking away from God seems like he didn't answer our prayers. And it seems like the deciding factor is if we get what we want. And I started to think that, that possibly our approach to this season, our approach to God, our approach to, 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 to who Jesus is, it could be wrong. It could be that we have misplaced perspective. And when we come into this season, because we're looking for what God can do for us, what God can give to us. Friends, Jesus isn't Santa Claus. He's not a genie in the bottle. He's not a vending machine. He's not something, someone or something that we serve in order to get what we want. We said this last week, God was not created for us. We were created for him. We were created, for, we were created to worship. We were created to give. How we approach God is critical to what we experience of him. How you approach him. I was getting ready for this last hunting season. I was checking out some new property, and, and uh, I was out with my brother, and we were having a good time. And, and I, I, I like hunting mostly because I like being by myself. And uh, so I like to go out in the woods by myself, and I like to go somewhere where there's no cell reception. It's beautiful. And... Um, and just get out there. And so we were out, and so we got home late that night. It was Saturday night. I was getting ready to preach the next morning. And uh, so I was going over my notes. My phone kept ringing over and over again. It's an unknown number, unknown number, unknown number. And finally I got frustrated and just answered, annoyed, like, hello, what do you want? And he says, uh, this is Game Warden Jeremy Lindsay. And uh, I am just calling uh, to ask, were you hunting out at the ranch? You know, and he names the ranch that I was at. And uh, I'm like, who is this? He goes, I just said, this is game warden, Jeremy Lindsay. I'm like, how'd you get my number? He goes, I'm a game warden. I have your number because I ran your plates. And I was wondering, were you hunting on the, I'm like, I don't know if you really are who you say you are. And he goes, sir, I'm game warden, Jeremy Lindsay. And I'm like, I'm going to need to see proof. My phone buzzed. And he sent me a text message, picture of his business card, an ID, game warden, with a, which I was like, that's kind of sketchy, just texting me a picture. And I'm like, how do I really know? And, and, and he started to get a little heated, and I got it heated, and I'm like, why are you calling me? And I was on the defensive. And uh, I started to realize he really, he really is, he really is who he says he is. And uh, so I had, I had to quickly change my approach. I said, sir, I am sorry. I'm sorry. I've been harassed at my home. I'm a pastor. Some people are really mean to me at times. And uh, I, I didn't know if you're a prank call. I didn't know if you wanted the youth kids. I didn't know, you know, like, I didn't know. And uh, I, 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 need to, I need to back up and start over. I literally told him, I'm like, Let, let's start over. So, you know, it's interesting that my approach changed once I realized that he really was who he said he was. You know how many people come and they approach God? We approach him so casually. We approach him with, with passivity. We approach him like he might not be who he says that he is. Friends, if he really is who he says he is, there should be no passivity in our hearts or in our lives. I'm telling you, our entire approach to God should change when we realize you, you really are 
who you say you are. How we approach God is critical to what we experience of him. You you know, our entire world is in a fight for our attention. Your culture, social media, the news is in a fight for your ears, for your eyes, for your attention. Our world is fighting to monopolize our thoughts and the attention of our day. I'm going to tell you this, attention is worship. Worship is attention. Whatever you give your attention to, you give worth to. And whatever you give worth to is the definition of worship. So you can tell what you worship by what you pay attention to. Well, I don't worship that. If you pay attention to it, you, you might. We, where, where we get our information, what we lean on, what we rely on, what we trust in. When, when, when do we pray? You ever been in situations like you've exhausted all the options, like, okay, guys, we got to pray. It's gotten this bad. Now we've got to. It's, we're showing that we have misplaced attention. Because wherever our attention is, is the place that we worship. When the wise men were going to worship Jesus, they said this, even though baby Jesus is baby Jesus. He's a, he is a toddler. They're saying, we are looking for the king of the Jews. They are they are looking, they already saw him as king. So their approach to Jesus was not this little baby is supposed to save the world. Their approach was not like, I think this guy should grow up and be something. He's got potential. Their approach was not passive. Their approach was desperate. Their approach was sincere. And their approach was honoring of who he was. They said, this is who he says he is, and we have come to worship him. I've asked this question, and I've read this text multiple times. Is why, why was there such a battle over this attention? Why was there such a battle over this worship? Verse 3 says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Let me give you a couple keys. Worship disturbed the norm. True worship always does this. True worship always breaks you out of the status quo. You cannot truly worship and just be normal. Worship has a cost. Worship, you you can't worship part way. It, it, it actually assassinates the entire definition of the word worship when you worship halfway. It's impossible. It's not worship if it's given half-heartedly. Worship, worship disturbs the norm. Herod was disturbed because of his fear, this is what we said earlier, of getting displaced. See, the, the wise men recognized that Jesus was a king, and Herod took it as a threat because he was the king. I'm going to tell you this. Each of us have things that reign right now in our lives. They get our attention. They, they get our motivation. They, 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 they get our trust. And those things are our king. They, they, they reign. If Jesus isn't at the center of our lives, if he does not reign supreme in our hearts and our minds, then there will be something else. You know, the Bible says, it says, do not worry about tomorrow. Yeah, you ever think how interesting it is how we just dismiss some scriptures and then we obsess over others? So we got like theologians that are obsessing about when Jesus is going to return for his church. And Jesus actually said, no one knows the day or the hour. I'm like, are we all reading the same Bible? People have devoted their entire life to trying to map out when he comes. He actually says, 
No one knows the day or the hour. And then there's other commands that are like really simple that we seem to just move to the side and not worry about because it doesn't feel very good. Like when Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. Which is not like when everything's going great, don't worry. He just says, don't worry. Well, that's hard. I didn't say it was easy. I just said Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. He, 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 Jesus said this. Some of these scriptures we dismiss so easily because, because it, it, it's, it's hard to live. But it's crystal clear. And other scriptures we'll obsess about and they're very obscure. And Jesus even says, nobody even knows. Let me tell you this. True worship, true worship will never settle for a counterfeit king. What this means is that whatever sets itself up as king over your heart and over your life, true worship will always dethrone the thing that's robbing attention from God. I think for each of us, we've probably had seasons or days, or maybe you're going through something right now, and, it, and something is robbing your attention. It's taking up brain space away from God. When you begin to truly worship, it takes back that place of ownership. True worship disturbs the norm. The wise men were looking for the one who had been born king of the Jews. They said, we, we are putting our affection, our attention, and our allegiance on this man, Jesus. This is not a ritual. This is not something we do sometimes. This is not a box that we check. They had given themselves to a search to find this King. Worship disturbs the norm. Worship does this as well. Worship exposed the enemy. Now this is interesting. A lot of people don't want to talk about the enemy, but the Bible says this. As much as there is God, there is also an enemy. The Bible teaches us that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we can try to turn a deaf ear to it and pretend like it's not real, but there really is an enemy. An enemy that is after your life. An enemy that has a plan for you just as much as God does. Just as good as the plan God has for you, the enemy has one for your destruction. But worship has a key component that begins to expose the plan of the enemy. I'll, I'll, I'll show it to you. Matthew chapter 2, we just read a couple verses down. It says, Then Herod called the Magi, the wise men, secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. Sounds like Herod's on their team. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. I want you to see this. This is, this is really key. It's hidden in here, a key about worship. Any person that's not willing to search for the one that they want to worship do not re doesn't really want to worship. People that want other people to do their searching for them are not true worshipers. True worshipers say, I'll search on my own. I'll search for myself. I can't find Jesus for you. I can introduce you. I can lead you along the way. But I, can't, I, can't, I can't search for you. You've got to search for you. You've got to search for your own life. Young people, your parents can't search for you. Your pastor can't search for you. Come on, everybody in the room, you can, well, I can't, you can't, we can't search for, for each other. Harry says, hey, you go search for me, and when you find them, come back and tell me, and then, then I can worship. But he had no intention to worship, because if you have no intention to search, you also have no intention to worship. Because worship, it costs you something. Worship costs you. Because our definition of worship is, is, is a good song. 
So you might even say, man, we went to worship today. Do you know you could come to worship, but you could not worship? We can sing all the songs, but we can never worship. We can lift our hands, and we can lift our voice, but we can leave today, never have worshiping. In fact, Jesus mentions this in Matthew chapter 15. He quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far. Man, it's sad. Their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. I don't know. You may have been in the room today and maybe the only following of Jesus you've done is because someone told you that you should and you're trying to follow rules and your, your, your parents went to church and your grandparents went to church so now you come to church but you never knew that you could actually worship like actually have relationship actually hear the voice of God actually have your you can search for yourself Jeremiah 29 13 says if you look for him he will be found by you and everybody likes to stop right there But it says, if you look for him with all your heart. You know what? I wonder if some people that have never found him have just never looked with all their heart. I mean, think about it. Have you ever done anything with all your heart? I mean, I mean everything. Have you ever left everything for broke and said, I'm 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 all in? I'm 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 giving everything. I'm, I'm giving it all. Listen, true worship will leave the enemy in your dust. True worship, because the enemy will never pay a price to worship. They will have you search. They'll have someone else search for them. But when it comes time to worship, there will be a line of demarcation. And worship is not a song. Worship is not a show. Worship is not a style. Worship is not a service. Worship is an, a, a, worship is a attitude of one's heart. Worship is giving worth it's it's giving attention. It's the simplest way to say it is that I give him my attention. Jesus says, you're honoring me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You could go to church all your life. People could think you're a super Christian. You can serve on a lead team and serve at the Dream Center, and you can be, you can be far from God. Jesus says, I'm worried about your, your heart. Don't just sing a song, but come give me the attention of your heart. Friends, that's, that's the line. If you're worried about settling for a counterfeit, you know that's what the enemy does? Is the enemy provides a counterfeit of everything that God's provided authentically. So that's why the world thinks that peace is found in popularity or joy is found in riches or all of these things. They're counterfeits of the things that God provides authentically. But true worship is what draws the line of demarcation that says, God, I'm here. And this is what worship does. Worship gives. Worship is not about receiving. Worship is about laying your life down. I know this isn't popular, but worship is about laying your life down. Worship is about laying down my rights, laying down my ideas, laying down my dreams, laying down my business, laying down all of the things that I want to do and saying, God, this life is an act of worship to you. That's what the New Testament teaches. Whatever you do, do as unto the Lord. If you work, work as unto the Lord. 
If you serve, serve as unto the Lord. If you worship, worship as unto the Lord. If you give, give as unto the Lord. If you work in, in, in government, work as unto the Lord. If you work in construction, get work as unto the Lord. If you work in the church, work as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, do it as unto, as an act of worship. That's the cost, friends. There is a cost to worship. Man, I love worship. You love singing. Worship is about laying down our rights. And people come into church. You know why people get fed up with church? Because they approach it wrong. I come in, well, man, church wasn't what I thought. I didn't get what I wanted. Wait, hold on. There's not, not a seat up here for Santa for you to come in and make your wish list of what you wanted. Friends, when we come to worship, we lay down. I can worship to a secular song. I can, I got, whoa. I can worship to, like, oh, don't play that devil music. Listen, if it's devil music to you, then, okay, careful, pull back the reins. I'm not saying listen to bad music. I'm saying that there is nothing that God doesn't have the power to redeem. So I can take what the world celebrates, I can take it, and I can slap the blood of Jesus on it, and I can celebrate. We, we had, I, I think I mentioned this last week, but this, this, this really frustrated me. Someone was mad because we're celebrating Christmas. Because they said it's a pagan, it originated as a pagan holiday. And I said, man, I think Jesus is going to be really happy that we're going to gather on Christmas Eve and we're going to lift up his name and we're going to worship him. And no matter what they thought it originated as or no matter what the origins, I'm just so happy that we can worship him with all our, I think think Jesus is going to be really exalted and really lifted up. And so before you come try to burn down my Christmas tree, just know in my house, Jesus is high and lifted up and we exalt him and we celebrate him. And we had a Santa Claus at the Dream Center. He was the shortest, skinniest Santa you ever seen. Because he's fake, but he was giving out keep he was giving out hugs and pictures and all of that, but there is no mistaking why we celebrate Christmas. There is no mistaking why we lift the name of Jesus up. There is no confusion in this church. There's no confusion in our home. There's no we lift up the name of Jesus. We glorify him. Our lives glorify him. Our worship glorifies him. You can look at our lives and see him because worship is not it's not a song. It's a life. That's, it's attention. It's attention on him. Please forgive me if I just offended you. The enemy always hides where there is no cost. The enemy always hides where there is no cost. That's why people could hang, some of his disciples could hang with Jesus as long as there wasn't a cost to pay. But as soon as it came time to pay the cost, it separated the fake from the real. That's really what separates believers is when life gives you something different than what you wanted. And can you worship then? That, that is, isn't that the line? It, it, it's, it's when everything's going well, it's like, man, I'm blessed, brother. I really am blessed. Praise God. I'm going to serve God all my life. Well, what happens when you're not blessed? What happens when things don't go the way that you wanted? What, what happens when you're hit with real tragedy and real crisis and real loss? And what happens when life so smashes you that you're so swirling in, a, in, in, in just a sea of doubts and confusion? Where, are, where is your God then? Friends, that, that 
is the anchoring, galvanizing point of faith when things don't go your way that you can say, I'm going to lift the name of Jesus up. I'm going to exalt him. He gives, he takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord in good times, in bad. Blessed be the name of the Lord when he gives me what I want, when he doesn't give me what I want. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That maturity, friends, is a line of demarcation where true worshipers say, we're here for you. God, we're not here just to get. We're not here just to receive. We're here to serve you. Our life is an offering for you. Our life is generosity to you. We came with gifts, and our life is a part of that gift. That's what worship is. Worship has a cost. And lastly, as we close, worship, and I love this, it revealed the Savior. Worship revealed the Savior. It says in verse 11, of Matthew chapter 2, a couple verses down. It says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now just pause here for a second. Y'all know he's like still a baby, right? So I want you to see the humility of some of the wisest men of that day, some of the most affluent men of that day who gave up everything, everything to search for a baby and the way that they approached the baby was not like he was a baby but like he was a king it says they came when they found him and they, they bowed down and they gave gifts I don't know what a, you know, a one and a half year old is going to do with frankincense but they gave it to him gold and myrrh all of those gifts have biblical meaning but they, they gave him their very best because of their perspective of who he was. We get this in the world. In, in, in the world, the way we honor people, the way we celebrate athletes or celebrities. I, I was at a Mavs game last season. It, uh, I, I was there with some friends and, and a buddy of mine has like the passes where you can go down in the, in the tunnel, right? Where all the players are coming out and, and um, whatever that, I don't know what his name is, the big old dude on the maps. He looks kind of scary. And uh, he's huge and kind of awkward. And uh, he comes running down the, the tunnel and I stuck out my hand to give him a high five. More like this. He's like seven foot something. And his hands are huge. I mean, huge. It looked like, I don't know if you've ever seen those like little baby hands. That's what it looked like with me trying to give him. He gave me a high, he gave me a high five. He just, in, just encapsulated my hand. And I was like, it, yeah, it was embarrassing. He ran by and everybody's excited. But everybody was waiting. Because they cared about all the players, but there's one player they really cared about. Everybody's waiting for Luca to come out. Luca comes out. And all of a sudden, everyone goes crazy. The camera's going wild. People are going crazy, trying to jump over the fence, trying to touch him. Trying. I was like, oh, my goodness, for an athlete. And then sometimes we come into church. And I'm not trying to dog anybody. I was mostly talking about the first service. <laughs> Still trying to wake up and stuff. We come into church, and sometimes it's like we don't know who's here. We're, like we approach him passively. Like, oh, he'll be here tomorrow. He'll be here next Sunday. But he's king. And when you see him for who he is, worship, it's automatic. When you, when you see him for the king that he is, worship, you don't have to conjure it up. You don't have to force it. You don't have to make yourself. When you see him for who he is, worship is automatic. 
It's automatic. It's automatic. It's automatic. I talk to young people all the time. They say, I don't want to force my faith. I, I, feel, like I'm, I feel like I'm faking it. The only reason you're faking it is because you haven't seen him. Because you're trying to be something without seeing him. That's called religion. That's what Jesus said. You come close to me with your lips, but your heart's so far from me. You've got to have a relationship with him. That's why your relationship with Jesus feels so dead. Because it hasn't been relationship. It's just been religion. You've tried to be and to do. But you've never seen him. That's why you're so disappointed in Christianity. Because you came to him like Santa Claus. Friends, he's not Santa. He's not what we've been saying, a genie in the bottle or a vending machine. We put in our worship and we get. The best thing you could ever do with your life is give it away. I mean, give it away. You want peace? Then give it away. Well, I thought I should. No, No, the world is trying to give you a counterfeit version of what God. So the world teaches you to do the opposite, to get what they have. So take, take, take. So you can have, have, have. And Jesus says, give, give, give. So that I can fill, fill, fill. With the real authentic peace that only comes from God. This is going to be the best holiday season you ever had. Not because you're getting something. But because maybe for the very first time, you worship, you truly worship. God, I'm here to give you. Maybe you come into church differently. Maybe you wake up and have your prayer time differently. Not, what did I get out of it? But Lord, I gave you something. You know what we should start asking? We should start doing this. We should start asking people as they come out of church, what would you give today? Oh, man, people would love that, wouldn't they? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be awesome? Like next time, first service is coming out. I want you guys there early, early next week. And they're coming out, like, what would you guys give today? Like, I'm talking about money or you're talking about me? No, no, but did you worship? Did you give something? Well, they didn't sing my song. You don't know what worship is. You don't know what worship is. Worships. It's our attention. And I feel I feel this so strong in my heart. God is just like it, 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 He's trying to get our attention back. And I, I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but I feel this so strongly in my heart that God's God's like battling for somebody in the room. That, that your attention, and it's not been by bad things or by a bad heart. It's just your attention has got caught up by other things. And I'm telling you, God is just trying to get your attention back. Some of you, you're angry at God only because you approached him in the wrong way and you expected something that he was never designed to give. You don't get something from God by doing something for God. You worship God and trust your life to him and then you end up getting everything that you ever wanted. But you never do it to get. You do it because of who he is. My, my approach to him. John chapter 4 verse 23 says yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks I want you to hear this they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in the truth you know what that means it means that we don't worship in just buildings and sanctuaries and auditoriums and rules and regulations we worship in our spirit, which means that you have your own relationship with Jesus and you give him your own attention, that we're not collectively as a church give him our attention. You personally give him your attention. I read a commentary this week. It says, we are to worship God not in Jerusalem, but in our hearts and by our lives, by offering the sacrifice not of animals, but of ourselves. That's how you worship in spirit and in truth. And this is crazy. It says, 
These are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. The best way for you to find God is for God to be looking for you. Think about how powerful that is. It's double the impact. If God's looking for me and I'm looking for God, that's a good chance we're going to find each other. God's looking for worshipers that worship in spirit. And if you're a true worshiper, God is actually searching for you. Well, I've been searching for God. God's looking for you. When you come to God with the gift of your life, with the gift of your heart, and everything that you do, and your gifts, and your talents, and you bring that before God, God is actually looking for you. How do I, how do I find God in this season? How do I go deeper with God in this season? You, you give yourself to true worship. You throw away the wish list, the demand list. I'll serve you if list. You say, I see you for who you are. I'm going to be like the three wise men. I'm going to bow my knee and I'm, I'm going to give you the best of what I have. I'm going to give with no price tags, with no expectation. I'm going to give you the best of what, because you're worth it. I want to say just one last time before we close. Imagine the humility of the three wise men that came. Theologians believe Jesus might have been about a year, a year and a half old at this point. They're not in the manger anymore. They're probably in a home or a house, wherever they were living. And these three wise men bow their knees, knees and humble themselves at the, at the feet of a one-and-a-half-year-old and offer the best of what they have to him. We have, the hard, we have a hard time, like, worshiping dignified. Imagine bowing everything you are, all of your popularity and all of your affluence and all, all those things feet of a one and a half year old it's all about how you see him if you see him for who he is worship it's automatic it's automatic imagine what god could do with the church that didn't come just to be served but they came to serve imagine what god could do with the people imagine what god could do with hundreds and hundreds and thousands of men and women of god they say god our life is an offering to you our job is an offering to you everything you bless me with i turn it back to you i'm giving my that's worship friend is i'm giving it back to you